1: how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production.
0: For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... Mm-hmm. We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here and along with me, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Courtney, how are you?
0: I'm great. Coming off being sick, so we're going to try to power through this, and I will try to not spread my girl germs in your Um, direction.
1: Yeah, no cooties, please, if you could. Uh, Well, it's the, uh, I would say, next man up if you can't go, but um, there isn't anyone else from ESPN who's here, so it's (laughs) just you. You're going to have to rise and grind and work your way through this.
0: Stay humble and stay hungry.
1: All of those things at once at the same time. Um, All at once. want to start out talking about an injury that uh, we saw on Monday, Stefan Diggs. We got way too up close and personal of a view on TV of his groin injury. I don't know if you caught that. Um, I
0: saw it on the replay because they were talking, like today, I thought it was interesting. He's like, I didn't really notice a certain play. And that's the thing. Like, you're not going to, with a groin injury, I mean, unless you're ex- hyper extending. not that I'm a doctor or anything, but like hyperextending that part of the body, it's something that. I think it's kind of a culmination of things, but I had heard that they showed what we can you, can you, can you enlighten the listeners as to what exactly they showed? I'm not
1: sure that the FCC actually allows me (laughs) to describe it, but anybody who was watching the game at home and was not at the game would have seen Eric Sugarman really up close and personal with Stefan Diggs's groin. I think this could be huge for Mm -hmm. them. Um, Now, Stefan was saying, don't overreact. This isn't as bad as last year, which really did hamper him quite a bit. Even when he was coming back in, he had to come out of certain games, or it was kind of a week-to-week thing. Was he going to play? Was he not going to play? And then it, it hurt his route-running ability. It hurt his ability to get separation down the field. He still had a really successful season last year, but if he had been 100%, he probably would have been a 100-catch guy. And he was leading the NFL going into last week and receiving. He ends up with only four yards on one catch against Chicago, and considering that it is really looking like Case Keenum is starting, I think there's no doubt now that Case Keenum is going to start.
0: It's Thursday, yeah. Let's not let's not let's let's squash the controversy. I, I Sam Bradford was not there in practice on Thursday, his second straight day of missing it. I think it's safe to say that at this point, it might be negligent if they were to let him play on one day after not practicing for two straight days. But you know, with your point to Diggs, I get why. He's trying to curtail this, and it very well maybe is what he said. This is not as severe as it was last year, which is good. He obviously doesn't want to give way to that being, okay, you know, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? He wasn't out there again on Thursday, which the problem with these groin injuries is they linger. And as you said, it's something that after week four, he couldn't separate his downfield productivity, like just completely diminished. And I think he only had 190, 188 yards after the catch at that point and just wasn't targeted as much because he was struggling. And that's something I know in training camp he mentioned, yeah, I just wasn't 100% healthy. That's what you worry about with these because it's a muscle that is so important for receivers because of leverage. By the way, you have to cut the way you move. Um, the way, you, I mean, the way you have to run down the field if that's something that's hampering uh, hindering you, it's going to, you know, really affect your abilities to, you know, do your job.
1: And he's a guy that, in order to get open, needs to have the the sharp cuts Mm -hmm. and things like that. Stick his foot in the ground if you want some real football-y language. But, I mean, route running is his thing. He's not just a big wide receiver who runs straight down the field on go routes and then goes up and get it. He can do that, but it's really his ability to get open on you know 10-yard routes and things like that that require a lot of footwork and a lot of sharp movement. And maybe that's one of the reasons that he has this persisting issue, but if that's going to hamper him, it might be a thing that goes on not just for this week, but for a while. And actually, Judd brought up this in a column. He said, what about the idea of just sitting him out until after the bye?
0: I I saw that, and I don't honestly think that's a bad plan at all, because you have Green Bay in Week 6, Week 7, the Ravens. You have three games left with you know the Browns game in London it's not you know I know that they want you know they don't want this to become another issue and he was on pace to be a thousand yard receiver last year they'll probably get it either between him or Thielen this year but for his sake you've gotta you've gotta wonder how severe this is and just how you're gonna handle it because they already have the game the the blueprint of how this injury affected him last year Mm -hmm. they don't want that same thing so they you know whether it's you know the same I guess same groin muscle whether Whether it's the left or right he didn't really specify that today um I think you I think at least one game at least because these are not injuries that you can just throw a a heating pack on a hot pad and expect it to go away
1: yeah and without him long term it's going to be a really tough task for this team to have the type of offensive explosiveness because now if he's out then teams can key more on Adam Thielen Although there is one thing that could soften the blow, and that's Michael Floyd if he sort of bounces back to Michael Floyd form. You were there on Monday night. What did you think of just how Michael Floyd looked? He only ended up with one catch. But just in, in general, how did you think that he looked and fit into the offense?
0: You know, I think that that was a critical catch because that 19-yard reception set up Jarek McKinnon's – fit was like two or three plays later, set up Jarek McKinnon's 58-yard touchdown run. Um, with Michael, you have a different type of receiver than you have in both D, uh, Diggs and Thielen he's physical. I think that his route running ability and his, you know, throw him over the middle of the field on some inside routes, get him crossing. And you have a, you have a game changer there. That's what he did. Um, you know, a combination of those inside routes and, you know, going deep and being Carson Palmer's, you know, favorite deep threat in Arizona. I think he adds another element. And so if the scenario is that Diggs does not play this weekend, this is Michael Floyd's chance, like to to really shine. I mean, I know that it's a tough it's a tough situation. Like you know, you're coming back two games. You haven't played since um, you know some point of in January, um, and he didn't even play that much in New England. So I mean, this is still you know they're they're training wheels and they're still you know trying to fit him into this system. But I think he's a you know outside of being a big you know, downfield blocking threat. Um, which obviously, you know, Diggs talked to that spoke to that point today too. I think that they have a good chance to really get him involved here in week six should should Diggs not play.
1: What they're gonna have to do though, I think, is turn more toward Jarius Wright if Stephon Diggs is out for this game or, or at any other down the road as opposed to Laquan Treadwell because yeah. At this point, Laquan Treadwell is bringing zero to the offense outside of blocking. And special teams here and there. Yeah, right, sure. To the offense, nada. I mean, he's gotten targeted ten times Mm -hmm. so far through four games. And for his number of snaps to only get ten targets and five catches really says something about how open or not open that he is. I don't think it was just the case of Diggs and Thielen performing well, and that's why he hasn't gotten the ball. I think there's probably much more reason for that based on last year. Jarius Wright is not by any means some massive explosive weapon that's going to end up on all the highlight film that night, but he's reliable.
0: Yeah, like, and he, I and I think that that's why that they've, you know, in small doses we've seen that this year. It hasn't been a lot. It hasn't been enough for him to stake claim on that number three receiver role, but he's a role player. to To that degree, I think that he can be – you know in doses you know a very integral part of this offense and as you mentioned with Treadwell um 60% of their snaps he played 60% of their snaps that's a lot yeah it's, and that's you know to me that's he's just not showing up in you know you're just not seeing i know that um on the on the 58 yard touchdown run Jarek um had mentioned you know, the block, that was great. You know, that's cool. But if that's all where he's showing up, I mean, he has to – I, I th- it's, it's not that they're not using him correctly. That's the thing. I just – I struggle. That's the disconnect here. Because obviously earlier this season, Pat Shermer said that they plan to get him involved more. He is an important part of this offense. But it's not just in the ancillary stuff of blocking and, um, you know, things of that nature. Uh,
1: yeah, and I think the only thing he does bring is blocking. Um, and Pat Schirmer was the same one that said he wanted to get Latavius more involved and then they mm-hmm. gave Delvin Cook all the carries
0: so yeah. <laughs> i mean and, and the thing with Treadwell like we talk about Diggs having issues with separation that was like Treadwell's number one problem in college i remember i saw it on an up close look like mostly every week when i covered him in the SEC and now it's that that has continued past the injury that he had his junior season and that's not been something that has been remedied all that much so I think that that's the issue you run into there that's the liability
1: now what they do with the running game will be interesting too uh, because last week they saw the Jarek McKinnon that we've seen in 2014-2015 but Latavius Murray still struggled Mm -hmm. and we talked with Latavius Murray today who's just a sad berry I mean, there's no other way to describe him. Like his press conferences have just been depressing.
0: Yeah, it is, and and he's even admitted, like, you know, the question came, like, you seem a little upset. Are you are you upset in the way you played? Disappointed in the way you played? And I think that he just, you know, it's it's not coming as quick, probably as he expected it to, and it's not as seamless as a tra- of a transition and. He he obviously knew that he and Dalvin are different backs, like night and day different backs. He is more equivalent to an Adrian Peterson type than he is Dalvin Cook. Um, but I don't think I got this question earlier. I don't think that they're going to just stray, you know stray away from their game plan. Like Latavius is going to be starting running back in every game, like in terms of how you if, first guy out there uh, when they're on offense. But Jarek plays a huge role in this, and I think that them splitting carries, at least for now, is the recipe that they're going to want to follow.
1: Unless McKinnon just runs away from Murray the way he did the other night.
0: And he very well could, because he's, I mean, coming out of college, he was one of the best, you know, highly touted athletes, um, you know, from the system that he ran in Georgia. Um, But... Now, I mean, you see he's really physical, too. I mean, some of those blocks, you kind of question, like, you know, you okay after that? Like, I mean, he even said that, like, there were, you know, some of the coaches tell him sometimes, you know, just go out the sideline. He's not going to do that. He's he's very, uh, I guess the word um, deceiving, essentially, in terms of his physicality because he is smaller. And that's something that um, I think, you know, actually could be really good against defenses because they're not expecting it.
1: Do you think that, Against the Packers, we will see the Case Keenum that throws long bombs down the field, or we will see the Case Keenum that dumped off on almost every play. I mean, the the 19-yard throw was the only throw that went down the field more than 15 yards for Keenum.
0: It's going to depend on what the defense gives them. I mean, that's that's the that's the fair answer there, but that,
1: that's a locker room answer. That's right a locker there. room.
0: <laughs> I I you know I thought about it because that third quarter where he opened up there with some short passes to both McKinnon and Murray, and that's what set up Kyle Rudolph's touchdown. That might be the way to go if it's methodical and it works. Why why stop doing that? And especially if you don't have digs. That might be that might make way for for more of that where you're you know going on short check you're going on your check downs relying on those to be able to move the ball downfield, and then maybe that opens up you know it's kind of the opposite the pass is now opening up the run because it's then it's opening up Jarek McKinnon to go do a 58 yard uh, touchdown run just like he did.
1: I, I do you think that Latavius Murray can be a legitimate weapon in that type of game after seeing what you saw from him in, in Oakland? Can he? Be a guy that you can work in the screen game, or did he end up with 40 something catches just kind of because he was there as a dump off option?
0: Yeah, and I think that that was a definitely a comfort for Derek Carr to be able to have him, especially all the drops that the Raiders had last year between Carr and Crabtree and Seth Roberts, um, that sometimes they had to rely on the short passing game. but I mean Murray, I mean Murray's a good running back. I think he's a good power runner. In certain situations, though, let's see what happens, you know, when, these, when when they are, you know, if they can become a better red zone offense, um, what what Latavius Murray does from, you know, 20, 15 yards out, because that's where he shined last year. That's where we saw most of his success. I remember talking to him in the preseason, and he said, you know, I don't want to just be that guy. I don't want to just be the guy who, you know product of your offensive line or you know at the five yard line of course he wants to score that's you know that's his bread it was his bread and butter 10 of 12 touchdowns from five yards or out or five yards or less last year um but he has a lot more that he wants to show that he can offer to this offense and I think he can it's just it's a situational thing because he's more productive as the not not as the bell cow um, as somebody that's a part of this, you know, is now they're calling it a two headed monster.
1: Usually you go with tandem or three headed monster. there are very rarely the two headed monster.
0: Stefan Diggs said a monster is a monster. Okay.
1: I'm not gonna nitpick on monsters here, but I'm just saying two headed monsters rarely. I just
0: can't get the future song out of my head, Monsters picture is mm. I'm picturing that right now.
1: Uh, I was thinking of the monsters. What's that? NBA, uh, no, not NBA. Jam. What's the movie? The oh, Space, Space Jam. Jam,
0: Space Jam. Jam, yeah, Bugs Bunny, yeah, great flick.
1: Okay, I was going to say if you haven't seen Space Jam, then you might have to just leave right now. But you're,
0: but you have. So I have seen Space oh, Jam. All right. So I uh, grew up in Chicago. Michael Jordan was a big part of my childhood. Okay, I was assuming. I just you had, you had. had to think back. It was like 1998. Yeah. All right. Well. Okay. Now I just want to go listen. You made me go from future to want to go listen to my Jock Jam CD. Yes. Yes.
1: It's a space jam. Exactly, oh, yeah. that's where my head's oh, yeah. at. I can keep singing if our podcast listeners send me emails that they want to hear that. Um, you might
0: get nicer emails if you sing than if we talk about um, socio political events yes, going on in yes. today's society. Uh,
1: sometimes that causes the emails to be more adversarial. A little terse. That way. Yeah, that's a good way <laughs> to put it. Um, so I was thinking about yesterday out here at Winter Park talking with Mike Zimmer and then uh, Aaron Rodgers on a conference call. And I was picturing in my head when two boxers are ready to go and how they will get on stage and they'll weigh in and they stand real close to each other and then they inevitably end up in some sort of shoving match and people having to hold them back because they're insulting each other. Whatever the opposite of that is is what happened <laughs> here at Winter Park with Mike Zimmer and... it was a love
0: fest. Airbus. It yes. was like you, neither of them could do any wrong. It's basically like... <laughs> We'd be happy if the game ends in a tie. He's (laughs) Zimmer's (laughs) Zimmers an innovator on defense. Uh, Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever had to game plan for, which, you know, both to a degree are obviously very true. I mean, Mike has brought things to this game defensively that he started in Cincinnati even before that, um, that you know, still to this day or stuff that Aaron Rodgers is pointing at being like, that is something people have tried to copy and they've not been able to do successfully. Um, but with Rodgers, I mean, man, it's, I, I was, I called my brother yesterday on the way home. We had this discussion, like, is there a more complete quarterback in the NFL? Because Zimmer brought up, I mean, and I think it's hard because it gets convoluted. Every time you have to, like, you know, they face, it's the NFL, there's 32 teams, like, Uh, maybe 60% of those guys could at some point in their career have the term, you know, elite tagged, but maybe probably less than that. Let's go 40%. You know, we talked about Drew Brees. We talked about Ben Roethlisberger, Matthew Stafford. It's like every week you don't want that thing of like, oh, this is the hardest guy to game plan for. But it is like that with Aaron Rodgers because he is the complete package. It's not Tom Brady to the sense of, you know, Tom Brady's elite for his own reasons. Peyton Manning was elite for his own reasons, and obviously not this season. It doesn't, you know, it's product of his offensive line. But Eli Manning is elite for his own reasons. But I, st- I still think Aaron Rodgers is the most complete quarterback in the NFL, um, and by far the most complete and difficult quarterback that they will have to game plan for this season.
1: I think he's probably the best quarterback in terms of just talent not pure accomplishments. Yes. But just talent to ever play.
0: If they I, could spend money on free agents, can you imagine how many Super Bowls they probably would have won in that time frame?
1: Yeah, and that's the reason why I think that they don't have the Super Bowls is because of the defense. I mean, if you compare Tom Brady, it's really interesting that Brady's known as more of a winner than Peyton Manning, but they have nearly the same playoff quarterback rating. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, what Brady did last year being down 28 to 3, I take nothing away from that level of excellence. But also, I think until this year, Bill Belichick has had defenses in the top half of the league in points allowed every single year. Aaron Rodgers hasn't had that. But when you go through tool by tool, his accuracy down the field, his ability to read defenses, his mobility and his athleticism, his arm strength, his smarts, you go through all those things, you can't match up anybody Maybe even ever. Even the, the, the greats, I mean, you'd, I don't know. I don't even know who's the comparable because the league has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you were to try and compare John Elway, say, well, I was watching a game just on YouTube for fun of John Elway back in the late 80s. I mean, he would drop back straight like nine steps and then just launch the ball down the field. So it's a lot different of a game now. But at least in this era, Rogers is number one quarterback rating of all time, it's hard to say that anybody's better but I was watching some tape of last year's game and how the Vikings held him to 213 yards. They picked him off. He really didn't have a great night in week two. Uh, Part of that was Jordy Nelson wasn't back to 100% yet after he'd had the, the previous year's injury, but there were a few times where they legitimately fooled Aaron Rodgers with disguising coverages, and I think the centerpiece of that is Harrison Smith. When I was watching, they were using him as a robber, which is where they line up, too deep, and then Harrison Smith comes down into coverage like he was a linebacker and blitzing Anthony Barr right in front of him. So the read is where Anthony Barr is coming from, but then Harrison Smith is there. And there were a few different ways where they use Smith at the line of scrimmage or faking to blitz and then dropping back in all sorts of different ways. So when you go up against Rodgers, you do feel a little bit helpless because he's going to make some spectacular plays, and you can not bring him down sometimes. But if there's anybody who can get him a little bit off, I think it is Mike Zimmer using Harrison Smith in in many different ways.
0: And he mentioned that. To a degree, yesterday when he said you have to pick your poison against um, against Aaron Rodgers because you could send in four guys your normal pass rush, and then uh, even when you have you know five, you're blitzing like he's still a step ahead there to where you know he'll sniff out you know who's coming in. I mean, even even if you have somebody, you know, even if you have the whole scheme together where you know your blitz pickups, you know, it, you know his blitz pickup. He figures it out. I don't even know how to, like, describe that more than he just figures it out. And so if he gets loose, you have to deal with that. If he doesn't, then your pass rush slows down, you know, it slows down to a degree. So I think it is a heavier burden, too, on their um, on the Viking secondary. When we talk to, you know, you mentioned, obviously, Harrison Smith, and another route to go there is what um, – Xavier Rhodes said yesterday about the receivers and why that matchup is so difficult because he's tracking the ball and the receiver at the same time because of all of these passes that are coming on the fly. It's not like he's staying. I mean, he's got good pocket awareness, of course, but most of the damage he does, it's like 61 touchdowns since 2009 out of the pocket. That's a league high. And that the next highest is Matt Ryan at 31. I mean, he's so dangerous on his feet. Um, I went back to watch the final drive several times against Dallas. And, I, I mean, it's just, it's just funny. Like, you think the Vikings have problems with this guy? I mean, this this dude is hated in Dallas. I mean, he is their worst nightmare. Um, but that, you know, his scrambling ability is elite. I don't think there's going to be better quarterback, at least in this era, that is as good as him. I mean, Matthew Stafford is very, very good at this, um, but not nowhere near the level. I mean, Russell Wilson, of course, but um, I think Aaron Rodgers is in a class of his own there. And I mean, you saw that, I think it was a 12-yard 12 or 18 yard run whatever it was the third play of that drive um where he literally felt the pocket collapsing around him and escaped out to his left and you know went down the side like ran down the sideline and then threw his shoulder into his to a defender I mean he's a physical dude and he's not that physically impressive I mean he's six two, two twenty five. 225 I mean you don't he's not Ben Roethlisberger in terms of size but he's still just oh my gosh I mean it's it is it is a chess match. And I know that I probably just diverted off the subject, too. I mean, of Harrison Smith, but... No, I think I mean, the
1: chess match is a great way to describe it, though, because this is going to be about Mike Zimmer trying to attack him in many different ways, and how well can he read those defenses, especially after seeing Zimmer for so many times.
0: Yeah, this is his... Let me think. So, 2014, this would be his seventh time seeing yep. him. Um, 4-2, 4-2 two. at the moment, yeah. And... I mean, I think the Vikings pass rush right now looks as good as it has to the point where Rogers has seen seen it in previous years. And I mean, obviously, you credit so much of that to Everson Griffin and just how um, elite he's playing and the level his you've game. really
1: thrown the elite tag all over. I thought you'd save that for Joe Flacco next week.
0: <laughs> hey, I mean, after seeing them in London and then kind of seeing what what what's transpired for them since, I mean, I might be using it.
1: I don't think he's got like
0: 400 much. receivers. He's fine, like.
1: The thing with Joe Flacco that's crazy to me, and this is going off on a tangent because we could talk about this more next week, is that he was briefly pretty good as an NFL quarterback, but that run that he had to the Super Bowl was Mm -hmm. bananas. It was like four of the best playoff games ever. And and just it really speaks to in the NFL where you have all these quarterbacks. Sam Bradford is one of them. Andy Dalton is one of them, (laughs) where if for some reason you land on that guy getting hot for Mm -hmm. a short stretch— then you've always got a chance to win. And I think about this for the bigger picture point with this team of making the playoffs and what they can be, because that's a kind of a question now. Are they really going to be competitive with Case Keenum? The answer is long-term probably not, but could you be if you can survive down the road with Sam Bradford where he isn't elite just like Joe Flacco is not an elite quarterback, but we've seen just enough flashes to wonder – to how trick you, can, right? Right. To how, trick you into thinking right. that
0: this is a consistent thing. Um, week one, great example of that. I think whatever uh, his first start, see Sean Hill started last year. Uh, that week one game, what was that week it? Week was two?
1: glorious. Yes. Um,
0: same thing there, and same thing through the. You know what he did a part, as a part of that five and zero start. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they are guys like that. I mean, mm-hmm. the question now, I know that's being raised. You know, hey, Case Keenum has. He's, like, ninth in, in QBR or something <laughs> yes, of, like, yes. eligible quarterbacks. Could this guy be a starter um, come next season? I mean, I think he could potentially work himself up another good free agent deal as a backup, but that's what he is. And I think he knows that, too. I mean, you can tell, though, one thing I noticed in the locker room, he's definitely taking on, you know, the air, I mean, of, you know, starting quarterback. I mean, he didn't right. – I don't, I don't know how to say I don't know how to say that, like, the right way, but it's – um. You know, yesterday, I mean, he's like, he he's definitely more in command of everything, I think, from the offense to the way he commands us in, in, in terms of, you know, I don't want to answer the same question twice, I'll just wait till everybody. I mean, it's definitely he's got a chip on his shoulder now. I think he, he's always had that, but he's definitely out to prove that, you know, that he's not just a backup option, that he, you know, the way he came in in Chicago might be, I think, the – something that you look back on after the season's over, you circle and say that's probably the best. To do that on the fly, you know, he's always says he prepares like he starts. Okay, that's, you know, that's quarterback talk. But to actually do it, like it's different, it's very different when you're starting a game versus when, you know, you're coming in with a chance to score 25 seconds left in the second quarter of an NFC North road game that's important and I think you know with Case um, that those are the situations where you know if he can have more of those like where he's thriving under that type of pressure it's you know it's only going to do wonders for him come free agency because I don't think I I mean he could be back here next year but there's also a lot bigger questions at quarterback than you know who their backup's going to be in 2018 I mean it could be Kyle Slaughter because he's under (laughs) contract he's the only one under contract so yeah
1: um to to your point, he has kind of walked around and presented himself a little bit more like a starting quarterback yeah. over the last few weeks as opposed to like, hi, I'm here, but now really sort of coming It's his team his own, right yeah. now.
0: Because Sam is not really around. We haven't seen him out in practice, I presume obviously he's in the training room. But I mean, he's not he's not like Teddy in that sense, like where you see Teddy Bridgewater, um, you know, kind of, he was on the practice field earlier, before like before practice. You know, doing his side work, and then he's still kind of—he's always been a presence in the locker room, even though he has not played in 15 months or you know been active in 15 months yeah. with the team. But Sam hasn't been really around. Um, you know, obviously he's got tra- a treatment he has to do, and you know. That's an interesting situation post-Monday's press conference. Uh, both pre- both little media sessions to what his deal is going to be.
1: Well, that's what I was going to ask you about your takeaway of that little press conference with trainer Eric Sugarman where we really didn't get a whole lot yeah. of information. It was more about Sugarman coming out and telling us we were all wrong to question them for starting Sam Bradford. Mm-hmm. But that's not really what we were questioning. We weren't questioning starting him. It was leaving him in Damn. as long as they did that. And, and if you're just going to say, well, Sam kept saying he was all right. Okay, Can't well, every about. player's going to say that. I think uh, my mom at home saw that he couldn't throw the ball after two series.
0: To me, the m- most telling part of that night, and I'm sure you saw it, was the Robert Griffin tweet.
1: Like yes. That
0: was chilling almost because you know what happened with him in his career, and I think that for someone who understands injuries and the severity of it, that was, that was a red flag. Um, I obviously I wasn't there on Monday. I was my flight ended up getting in a little bit late, and then the Vikings kind of sprung that press conference on us with Eric Sugarman a little late. Um, so Kevin Seifert, shout out to shout out to my colleague Kevin Seifert for stepping in. Um, he's awesome, and uh, you know. But I did get the quotes, and I and I looked at it, and obviously in reading stories of what um, what came out of that Sugarman press conference. The thing that – here, there's a divide. We're not – there's something here that is not being said or wrong or Mm -hmm. someone is not saying something. Last Friday, which would have been Thursday in the normal world, but we got Case one day and then we got Sam. When you talk to Sam, he says the good news he got out of that second opinion was that this is not potentially not going to be something that hurts you long term. This could be something that goes away. Wear and tear does not go away. I'm sorry, it doesn't. What Eric Sugarman was saying does not line up with what Sam Bradford was saying. Wear and tear is something that continually progresses. And I'm not trying, I'm by no means undermining anybody who has medical expertise. I certainly do not. But wear and tear is different. By the definition of what wear and tear is, is that something that, you know, as you get older, as you put more stress and more strain on this, this is going to get worse? That's different than what Sam was telling us. And I do think that um, I read Judd's column and I thought it was really good. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, let him start, it's fine. But when you see that's not the issue here, it's keeping him in that almost appeared negligent. Because, um, he- Oh my god, had he come out of there with a torn ACL or something even more serious, like knock on wood, got thank God that didn't happen. Cause you can you imagine how much hot water the team would be in right now had that happened? Because there's gonna be finger pointing at that point. He's got a contract that he's trying to get in the off season. So he's a free agent. He didn't get locked up by the Vikings, which may be a you know bullet dodged for them. Um what they didn't do for him in the off season, but now, oh my gosh! I mean, we'd be that would be k- crisis level ha- if we were talking that.
1: I agree that uh, there are some things that aren't quite lining up here. That both, I mean, Sugarman at one point did say, "Well, it's a thing that should heal his issue now," but wear then, and tear doesn't heal right, though. But he also acknowledged that anytime you have this wear and tear from a knee that's had two ACLs you are still probably looking at issues down the road. And with Sam Bradford, yeah, he's saying that, oh, yeah, it's going to heal and it's going to be fine. But there's just no way to know, even if he does heal so he could play this season, what that's going to mean long term, which, as you mentioned, with his contract situation, it would be very hard for the Vikings to decide to to wrap him up long term. But how long he's going to be out – Sugarman wouldn't speculate on that, wouldn't answer questions on how long he's going to be out, and also was very specific in his language about a bone bruise. He was saying it wasn't an impact bone bruise, but wouldn't say whether it was a bone bruise caused by the wear and tear issues. Mm -hmm. So now we're just playing you know, sort of like um, a clue or something here with Sam Bradford's knee. But what I take out of it is... Don't know when he's going to be back. Don't know how long they're going to have to rely on Case Keenum to be their starting quarterback. And I think what you're looking at with Case Keenum is a situation where he can go two and two and can probably win two out of the next three games, possibly. If he could beat Baltimore and beat Cleveland, after you get back from the bye, that's when things get really hairy with Bradford. Where is he going to be? And then... With Teddy Bridgewater, Eric Sugarman mentioned that he's going to meet with his surgeon, and they can bring him off the pup list in uh, October 18th.
0: And that's that's where this whole thing could very easily get more confusing because with Bradford, I got the question earlier: like, is it, will we ever see him play another game for the Vikings? I don't know. Um, and and the biggest takeaway is we still don't know. That's the been. That's what we knew. You know, After week one going into week two, we didn't know anything. Week three, didn't know anything. Week four, five. Now we're at week six. It's the same thing because knee injuries are so confusing. And because there is technically no structural damage it's pain management is what Mike Zimmer said, but then you reaggravates it so maybe there is more swelling. Maybe it is something that, you know, he's not gonna be able to hold up under conditions and you I just don't think you risk it. Um if you're Sam Bradford, if you're Tom Condon, I don't think that you know, for his longevity as an NFL player and as somebody who wants to walk twenty years from now, um, I don't think you risk that. But oh gosh, the Teddy well, thing is
1: Yeah, that's even more interesting. So I was talking with uh, anyone who's listening to this podcast, may have already listened to one that I did with Arif Hassan, who's uh, from zonecoverage.com. He said, I asked him to guess, who's the starting quarterback 2018? And he said he thinks probably Teddy Bridgewater. And at this point, I don't know how you can really assess whether his knee is going to respond I don't know how you can put him in a game or, or know that he's ready to be put in a game because you can't simulate an actual NFL experience for him. I mean, what would you say to him in practice? Like, hey, uh, you know, Linval Joseph, go, go tackle him. They're See, not going right? to
0: let that happen. That's right. the thing that people don't understand where – Number one, let's clarify a few things. Number one, so he gets he's eligible to come off. He's got to pass a physical. Um, you know, he's going to get reevaluated by the doctors. So let's say he returns to practice. They have that three-week window. It does not have to be right away. That can be at any point during the season. They have that three-week window to determine if he's going to be active at some point on the 53-man. we they, they can't tackle him in practice. They're, he's not going to get to experience what game speed is until – you know, the day he goes back and plays a game, which could be a while. So do you ride Case Keenum for a while if he's still playing pretty well? I think that's a smart option. You know, the whole the whole notion that, you know, he's containing this offense right now and, like, why throw your offense through yet another, you know, another hurdle when you're not really sure how, Brid, uh, how Brad, uh, excuse me, gosh, Bridgewater's knee is going to respond is... You're
1: really not sure how anyone's knee is no, going to respond at like,
0: this point. <laughs> seriously, there's so many knee injuries. Legs are
1: problematic here at, yeah. uh, at Winter Park. Let me uh, double back, because the, the only other thing that I wanted to touch with you was Trey Waynes. Okay. I mean, so this kind of like brings us around back to Green Bay. Um, last year against Green Bay, Waynes had the big interception at the end of the game. Otherwise, had a bit of a rough night, and then... The second time they played the Packers in Week 16, it was a really rough game. Mm -hmm. Um, Aaron Rodgers just attacked Trey Wayans all over the field. And I feel like he's had a very up-and-down season so far. Against Tampa Bay, Deshaun Jackson got nothing against Trey Wayans. And maybe that's a perfect matchup for him because it's just this guy runs straight routes and you're really fast and tall. So maybe that worked out for him. He got an interception in that game. Uh, then the other night against Chicago, there were some yeah kind of moments, but overall you allow 12 completions to Mitch Trubisky. Uh, you can't make much of a complaint there. Where do you think he stands for how he's performed this season? Because I look at it as if you're an opponent, you're looking at Xavier Rhodes saying, I can't attack that guy. Mm-hmm. Wherever Harrison Smith is, I can't attack that area. Uh, Eric Hendricks is a good cover linebacker. Anthony Barr is playing much better. Who do you attack in this defense? And it kind of comes down to going after Wayne's and testing him week after week.
0: I think he was better in Week Four, even against Detroit. I agree. Um, you know, he had the good. You know, I think I don't know if what he did on Deshaun Jackson like uh, makes up for anything. It's still you just wonder when the training wheels for him are going to come off because it's been like this for a number of years correct like I mean it's mostly
1: yeah mostly he didn't really play a lot in uh, 2014 or no I'm sorry 2015 didn't really play a ton and then last year I would call last year the training wheel season because he was mixing in with Terrence
0: Newman when
1: they still had Captain Munerland.
0: yeah and I mean he's been effective to a degree I'm not trying to like pump up the guy but he's been effective in the run like i think that's where well, that matters you know that does matter and you know against they have four running backs so i mean they've got a, a huge rotation that they can use and that that alone is something corners we, you mean no i'm talking about uh, with green bay
1: oh i'm sorry okay like with, I, th- I thought you meant with vikings corners
0: no i mean they've got i think that you know obviously aaron rogers that's your number one target that's what that's who you want to stop it's going to make things very difficult um for the cornerbacks, their receiver matchups, but with, you know, with their run game too, you have, that's a big problem. And I think that um, Aaron Jones in his debut was stellar. Um, He, 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 Dallas did not game plan for him well enough. And I think, you know, maybe that's where, that's the cushion you look to with Trey Waynes that, you know, if he can provide some extra run support, um, you know, Maybe that's where he gets to kind of redeem himself here. I mean, but it's just, it's like we saw a little flash there after the Tampa Bay game and then again in week four, and then it kind of has dwindled again. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's still too early to, you know, completely write him off, but there is a significant drop off from the rest of the corners and Wayne's and some of the issues he's had.
1: I, I think I look at him as if he were a third round draft pick, we would all say, yeah, okay. He's all right, I guess. Not the best, but okay. The fact that he's a first-round draft pick paints your expectation toward this guy's going to be a top-notch corner. And when he isn't, when he's just average or below average, then I think there's a lot more frustration there. With Tremaine Brock, they get him in part because of Mackenzie Alexander's struggles. I mean, he hasn't shown anything. From even when he was in on special teams or against Tampa Bay, shown
0: he can get a holding penalty that backs yes. him up and causes a safety. I mean, the safety was on Sam Bradford; he didn't, he couldn't move. But that was
1: one of the worst special teams nights I can ever <laughs> remember from a guy, from an individual. Like Jaron Curse, apparently really good because uh, he was Curse had been excellent in that role and then couldn't play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Brock hasn't shown anything that makes me think okay, he needs to be in instead of Wayans. And Mackenzie Alexander has been in only just a little bit here or there mixed in. Maybe if it got really bad, you'd put him on the outside. But I think Wayans is still your best option there. And when it's a guy who's a first-round pick who's slightly below average or average, I think that always causes them to be the the sort of frustration for fans who want a star player every time in the first round.
0: And there, I mean, look at Laquan Treadwell. It's the same thing. Um, But with... With Waynes, I know there's a lot of – that's like a question I always get on Twitter from Vikings fans. There's a lot of frustration. People want to call him a bust. I don't know if – is it. Is I, it
1: – No, I'm not there. I'm, I'm not, not there. there.
0: I just can't yet. Bust,
1: I think, don't get in a second contract anywhere. Now, yeah. they might not pick up his fifth-year option because that could be very expensive, and he could leave in free agency, but he'll have a job for, I think, a very long time. So I – when I think bust, I I don't know. I mean,
0: people it, want to throw that word around. I think a little too much and too quickly. Um, but I I mean, when you see how he performed at Michigan State to where he's at now, there are some similarities in terms of things he struggles with. Mm-hmm. Um, for an outside corner, I mean, who who else? What do you? I mean, who else would you? Honestly, you said it. I mean, you know, with the situation that they have with the nickel, I mean. There's no real reliability. No one has really kind of grabbed hold of that role either.
1: One more thing for you. Do they win? Do the Vikings win, mm. do you think? I
0: need to go put my prediction in for this, actually. Mm. You know, I've... W- get your crystal ball out. Gosh, I, I'm waiting Who knew for- it would get that weird? Gosh, that's weird. Like, that, you know... Awesome. I'm just waiting for him to, like, you know a coach have the Gatorade, like, on top of the little podium uh-huh. thing. I'm waiting for him to, like, knock the Gatorade over and just, like, plop down his crystal ball. Yeah, that...
1: That'd be cool. I am now for that and hoping for that outcome. What do you think? Win? Lose? I think they tie. Lose. <laughs> Donovan McNabb rooting for a tie.
0: <laughs> I, th- I think it is a loss. I think that, I mean, through five games this season, and, they're you know, he's been the comeback kid. Um, they've had some late-game heroics, Aaron Rodgers, that is, and I think what you saw with him at fourth-quarter magic and, you know, how he was able to win that game in Dallas, that's hard to contain. Um, they've had – I mean, it's a tough its a tough matchup for sure for the Vikings, and I think their defense is absolutely going to throw the biggest challenge that Rodgers has probably seen this year, but I still think in the end uh, it is a win for Green Bay. But, I mean – what was it last year? I mean they won did they won at Green Bay. Or no, they won they, they won it here. here, seventeen yeah. fourteen, and they lost at Green Bay. I mean, yeah. I don't think we're gonna have the issues um, you know, with the secondary that, you know, going and, rogue and going, so forth. Yeah, and I mean obviously, you know, and, and Rhodes is gonna play. Like he didn't play that first game. Right. Um so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he if he is shadowing in, if he is indeed shadowing Jordy Nelson, um, which I tend to believe is going to happen. I think so too. Um how that plays into that um, into into the mix, but I do think that you know Aaron Rodgers, it, despite the offensive line, I know it's a problem, he's still leading. The, he's like number four in, in passing yards right now, and led them to a four and one record when they easily could have been you know at that point like you know two and three. So. I give, it to the, I give it to the Packers. Probably probably not a popular pick, but I'm sure there are a lot I of people most, listening who probably would give it to the same thing. Yeah, so. I think
1: most Vikings fans have been through that with facing uh, Aaron Rodgers. I will lean Packers, but I think not by a ton. I think team quality overall. The Vikings are a stronger roster still. Uh, the Stephon Diggs injury would be a big concern. And if Sam Bradford was starting, I might say, well, I think the Vikings will be able to pull this off, but I think it's a little tougher having your backup quarterback without potentially his number one wide receiver or at least playing hampered. Mm -hmm. So I will agree with you there. I think I
0: was actually right on my pick last week. I said it came down to a field goal, and if I can remember correctly, I did say 2017. So. Oh really?
1: Wow, you nailed that's, it.
0: That's you know I hate predictions. And I hate having to do them because everybody wants to point back to. you. And actually, somebody did point out to me on Twitter, like, like no way the, the Lions only score 14 points, <laughs> blah blah blah. And I was like, oh, I just wanted to go back at them so hard after that. After you know, obviously the Lions won um, in week four, but. I digress. Yeah, I'm a class you know, act. I didn't
1: do it. Predictions are, w- what are you going to do if you get them wrong? I think last year we predicted games at the end of the Purple Podcast, and I got like eight in a row wrong, where they had the losing streak. Was it the eighth
0: that they yes. lost? Well, I kept
1: thinking that they were going to end it. Then I finally was like, all right, it's over, and then they won against Arizona. So, you know, what, whatever. No <laughs> one's good at picking games. Um, anyway, hopefully we were good at doing podcasting at least. So thank you all for listening to another episode of the Purple Podcast.